What was the um, question? Yeah, uh, was, you know, regarding last week and acceptance. And, uh -huh. uh, once in a while, or quite often, actually, uh, in this world, there's something that um, I can't accept. I have a difficult time accepting. And um, uh, just to use a recent example, just a couple of days ago, uh, two people were murdered by their uh, adopted uh, son. Uh -huh. And these people were compassionate. They, I mean, they couldn't have children, so they adopted this two-year-old boy. And, uh, you know, she worked as a physician's assistant uh, in the uh, Tenderloin. Um, compassionate thing to do, right? Yeah. And he was a clinical psychologist in the San Francisco or the, the county jail system, right? And so they adopted this boy. Thirteen years later, he ends up killing him. Wow. Um, I have a hard time uh, thinking that everything is that is everything that as it should be. Uh -huh. And uh, I was just wondering yeah. what you would say to their families, or what you you know what you could say to us about something like that. Right. So, um, so I'm just going to repeat for the recording that this the question is about um, some adoptive parents being murdered by their adopted son. Um, and people who were working in service, um, and um, you have a hard time accepting that. Uh, how did you put it? That thing. Well, that that's as it should. As be. it should and, be right. You know, I, I yeah. This uh, right. <coughs> I don't. I certainly would not say that's how it should be. <laughs> Uh, because clearly that's uh, beyond tragic. It's, you know, horrifying. And, um, and acceptance of that, to me, d does not mean um, that, that I think, oh, well, there's some karmic reason for that, so I just am not supposed to understand it. They probably killed somebody in their past lifetime or some nonsense like that. I mean, uh, you know, uh, the, to me, the starting point of acceptance to that is this is what happened. You know, how am I going to live with that? I have to live with this. I have to find a way to live with this. So what am I going to do with this? I'm not sure that I can think of it. I certainly don't think it's acceptable, you know, able to be accepted uh, in terms of um, emotionally, I should move on or something like that, you know. But, but I think this, that we, we first have to see this is how it is and this is how I feel. So acceptance to me is accepting of the reality of it and accepting the grief or the anger, the despair that I might feel about it. And that doesn't mean saying it's okay. It's just that's how it is. That's the starting point of acceptance. This is, I can't change the fact that this has happened. And, and I certainly don't think that I should feel anything other than what I feel. 
anything you feel out of that is natural to me. If we don't engage that part of the process of kind of working through an experience like this, then the, the reaction is going to be either you know, violence, violent hatred, or despair. Uh, and so keeping some space to say, let me just feel this first, before kind of saying, what am I going to, what can I do with this uh, um, event? What can I do with this feeling? There's a you know amazing story that uh, I I think Jack Cornfield tells this story about the this woman whose son was murdered and she went to his trial and as as he was being taken away to prison for like 25 years she said I'm going to kill you and um, and then over the years. In prison, she was the only person who came to visit him, and she seemed very compassionate and kind to him. And um, eventually, I mean, he was a teenager when he did this; it was a crazy gang type of thing. And eventually, he came up for parole, and she went to the parole hearing and said, "You know, I'm the mother of the victim, and I think you should let him go." But you should only let him go into my care. I'll take care of him. And so they did. They released the guy to this woman. And, and he was a little, you know, hesitant. <laughs> like, <laughs> what's going to happen? You know, didn't really want to fall asleep. Uh, <clears throat> on the other hand, they developed, they developed this relationship. You know, and she'd really cared for him and taken care of him. And, and uh, Eventually, you know, and he had re- completely changed. He had, you know, gone to school in prison and had really grown and matured and, and started to really do productive things with his life. And, and um, I'm not telling this perfectly because there's more to it, but eventually the result is that uh, he, he, she, she actually adopts him. And and he, he says to her at one point, but I thought you wanted to kill me. And she says to him, I did. You're not the person. The person you were is dead. Now you're, you're a completely different person now. And that idea, you know, she killed him with love. She killed that hateful person with love. That's, for me, such a powerful kind of response to something that's just unacceptable. I mean, having your son murdered, uh, you know, how can you accept that? And how can you accept that person? Uh, And, uh, you know, it's one of those stories that I hear and I go, really, is that true? I don't know if it's actually true. I don't know if Jack made it up or somebody, chicken soup for the soul made it up, but... But it's, whether it's true or not, it's a beautiful story and a beautiful uh, 
you know, ideal to kind of strive for. Again, I just think that we hear these stories and, and if we take them as, oh, I should be like that, I could never live up to that, well, that's just another way of beating ourselves up. But if we see it as like, okay, that's really inspiring and I would love to be like that, I'm not, you know, but I can see this is about right intention. I can see that's a, a really wise way to move, a, a skillful way to move. So, so in terms of then what, how we work with something like that, to me, you know, if we, if we let someone else's hatred become hatred in us, then we are just, in some sense, becoming like them. We're just producing more hatred, and just as you know, the, the phrase from Gandhi, you know, an eye for an eye, eventually everyone in the world is blind. You know? um, so I think that, and you know, the people that I admire the most are the people who do things like that, the, the mothers against drunk drivers. You know, son was killed in a drunk driving accident, and instead of, you know, living out a bitter, life as you can to try to help others and help help to avoid other people having that happen. So I don't know if that's of any help, but uh, and I don't know if that even answers the question about acceptance. It's what comes up. Um, I guess I, w I will use these last few minutes to um, to talk about healing because this is I mean it's interesting that these are the questions the questions that have come up are so much on the topic maybe I don't know if intentionally or just how it played out maybe because of doing the loving kindness practice but um, the idea that the premise that I kind of start this uh, theme of healing with is that when we come into recovery, we are wounded, and that we are wounded on many different levels. And the way we've been talking tonight is mostly about the emotional level that we're wounded. And, and I think that a lot of the 12-step process is actually meant to heal the wounds, um, particularly when we get into the inventory process and the, through the amends process. This is meant to really be dealing with the difficult emotions and difficult uh, history we've had. The amends is obviously trying to heal our interpersonal wounds. But the, and as I say, you know, the loving kindness practice as well as the mindfulness practice, uh, I think are, can be really healing practices, talking about working with emotions in that way. Uh, that's, that, the way that I was talking about that before is really, uh, for me, the core practice, uh, the core mindfulness practice of working with the emotional wounds, um, learning to be present with the feelings, learning to uh, make space for them and not to, not to live in fear of them. But, you know, there, there's l lots of ways that we can deal with, um, and need, you know, lots of tools to, to draw from 
in terms of emotional wounds. Certainly, uh, therapy, many different kinds of psychotherapy, and uh, as well as um, body therapies, uh, somatic therapy, um, as well as at times, you know, pharmaceutical, you know, psycho, psychopharmaceutical work that we may need. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I made a list of the types of wounds that this, this is what, what came up for me. The emotional wounds, interpersonal wounds, and many of us have a history of uh, problematic uh, family life, problematic relationships, uh, confusion around sex and uh, our sexuality, um, around love slash sex, trying to separate the two, trying to figure out what they are. Many of us f have been isolated and felt isolated or have isolated ourselves from people. Uh, many of us used our uh, substance, substances, alcohol and drugs, to ease our social interaction. You know, there's nothing like a couple of drinks to make it possible to be at the party. It's one of the things I find I really don't enjoy parties anymore. Uh, you know, I want to, but you know, uh, it's just not a situation that's very comfortable to me. So emotional wounds, interpersonal wounds, um, physical wounds, you know, the ways we damage ourselves. Uh, really, we often need a lot of care. Uh, you know, if we were smokers, if we were heavy drinkers, heavy drug users, uh, a lot of us hadn't been to a dentist for many years. Uh, don't know if that was true of any of you guys, but... Uh, <coughs> um, You know, many people were addicted to painkillers because of a physical injury. And that's how they became addicts, was through a physical injury. And coming out of that, working with that, a lot of the people at one of the treatment centers I go to, Bayside Marin, a lot of them tend to be uh, working with chronic pain. Very difficult. You know, here you are, you know, you were only using the drug to deal with this problem, and then now you're taking away the drug because you're an addict. But what are you supposed to do now? Uh, it, t it takes a lot of uh, compassion, a lot of work, a lot of skill. Um, so emotional, interpersonal, physical, uh, financial and professional. I don't know if you call them wounds, but uh, many of us either uh, had uh, no success in, as in professional life because as my sp first sponsor said to me, your career was getting loaded. You know, everything else was just, you know, a hobby. But my career was being high. You know, and it was true, largely. I mean, what did I do consistently every day? Not work, you know. Get loaded, yes, that was consistent. I didn't miss a day. I might have missed a day at work, but I didn't miss a day of getting loaded. Not, uh, I smoked pot every day for nine years. I, I didn't drink every day, but uh, <clears throat> that was my thing. I drank enough days. I mostly just took it like a day off each week just to clean out <coughs> or whatever. <laughs> Convince myself I wasn't an alcoholic. Hey, if I don't drink every day, I must not be an alcoholic. As long as I stay stoned enough, I won't notice. <laughs> so, 
you know, many of us, we get sober and we have to rebuild our professional life. Maybe we may have been working in some career that we hated. We may have been wealthy. You know, run into those people a lot, you know, those crazy Wall Street traders who were jacked up on coke for 10 years, you know, and made a mint, and then, it, you know, all falls apart, and, and uh, you know, they can't go back to that. You know, they got to start an organic farm in Sonoma, you know. <laughs> so, But this has to be addressed. This is part of the process. And it can't, uh, you know, again, I think that uh, what I'm trying to get at is kind of broadening our idea of what recovery means. And thinking, when we think of it as a healing process, and I mean, what I had to do was go back to school. You know, I was a high school dropout. And that was a real wound, you know. It was a real, uh, you know, what I thought about myself that I couldn't get through school, what that meant about my intelligence, what it meant about my potential as a human being. I really just thought that all I could do was play the guitar, you know, and that that was the only thing that was worthwhile that I could do. And, uh, you know, that was just such a narrow viewpoint, and it was a very painful viewpoint. So, you know, opening up and realizing, wow, and going back to school, and then discovering, wow, uh, when I'm sober and I'm not a teenager, <laughs> school is really interesting. You know, I, I see these, you know, I t when, like teaching this college course, I just, I feel so sorry for the kids because they're in college and they're 18. I mean, that's, I think that really sucks because <laughs> you don't have a clue how great it is what you're doing, you know. You do that when you're 38 like I did, and man, it's awesome. <laughs> Wow, algebra is really interesting, you know? Who knew? <laughs> I guess somebody did, but I didn't. So there's rebuilding that is, is part, a big part for many of us, is finding, finding our life, uh, our, our livelihood. And, and of course, this is part of the Eightfold Path, right? Livelihood. Um, this is all part of the Eightfold Path. And, and then, I, then finally I say spiritual wounds, which, you know, again, is kind of related to emotional wounds, but, uh, but just to put it in a different context, that uh, many of us felt betrayed by a religion or felt alienated by religion and spirituality. Uh, you know, not to mention people that are actually, you know, betrayed by, by their uh, you know, priest or minister or Dharma teacher, you know, meditation teacher. Um, you know, many of us were really seeking some kind of spiritual comfort in our intoxication. You know, uh, really not. Uh, I tell a story in my second book about uh, smoking pot when I was like 17 or 18, right? Soon after I'd started to get high and, and having this really kind of Zen moment of just being totally present. And sitting in this space that was kind of, you know, it was what, kind of our clubhouse when my band rehearsed. And, you know, it was like empty soda cans and cigarette uh, ashtrays and just, you know, getting high. And just all of it suddenly was perfect. You know, that kind of, wow, it's just, it just is. It was that suchness kind of thing. And, and that was a spiritual experience. But I didn't recognize it as that. I've had that experience in meditation now. But at the time, what I thought was, uh, I really, this is great. I love this feeling of connection. Oh, I've got to get some more of this dope. 
you know. <laughs> and I just want to feel like this all the time. So it was that kind of misguided spiritual search. Of course, that's, you know, the LSD and all of that was part of, you know, this, what's, what's confusing is that, you know, even the fact that Spirit Rock is here is a result of LSD to some extent, you know. I mean, it was LSD and marijuana in the 60s was, for many people, the, the spiritual gateway into something more authentic. And, you know, people said, oh, I, you know, as, as Richard Alpert, a.k.a. Ram Dass, said, wow, this is really interesting, but let's see if we can find something that's, you know, more real or that's, through, that's a spiritual practice rather than taking a pill and going to India. You know, lots of people did that. You know, others of us stayed here and just kept getting loaded, you know. And, um, you know, there's a book called Zigzag Zen about LSD and, and, uh, and Buddhism, you know, so... Um, so all of these are elements of our, I'm calling them wounds, I think things that need to be healed. And when I say healed, that, uh, there's a couple of meanings to that. Of course there's the meaning of actually kind of, uh, you know, the wound being, being healed over. And the, uh, where uh, maybe our health comes back or our relationships uh, are, we get, you know, uh, a healthy relationship with our family again. We're able to work, you know, manage our emotions better. But healing also has the meaning of just the, the connection to the word wholeness, where it comes back to acceptance, to, to seeing that, um, that we can ca- contain these things, that we can ca- contain the wounds of our past, that, that we don't have to be uh, debilitated by our uh, tra- you know, traumatic upbringing or our, uh, the ways that we hurt other people uh, by our, uh, in our losses. You know, one of the things that we find in aging, as you get older, you keep losing things. You keep, you lose physical abilities. You lose people, people who die, uh, people who just disappear, who who don't want to be with you anymore, divorce, uh, children who get alienated. If we're going to go on living and having a meaningful and happy life, we have to somehow come to hold loss as part of life. Otherwise, we're just going to be accumulating these pains, these wounds, and, and life will just wear us down, beat us down. If we... Uh, I was talking about this, I don't know if it was here in my, I think it was in my class at St. Mary's, about how, I I can remember it spatially being here when I said, but we'll see. Anyway, that wisdom can come with age, but only if we're paying attention. If we are not paying attention, 
and I mean that in the you know broadest sense, in the sense of really understanding impermanence, understanding suffering, understanding compassion, understanding acceptance, forgiveness. If we're not paying attention, we will just get beaten down. We will become bitter old people. If we are paying attention, there's the potential for wisdom to grow, for our hearts to grow wider, for us to have a deeper understanding so that when people all around us are acting foolishly, as they will do, as nations will do, (laughs) we are able to hold that with a broader understanding. Part of this for me is history. This is one of the reasons, you know, as you age, you start to understand history a lot better because you've seen some of it. And then when you read about history, you see, oh yeah, right. I've seen all of that's happened in my lifetime too. When I look back at the Spanish Inquisition or the, the colonialization of Ireland or, uh, you know, all these things, it's just, it's happening in my lifetime. It's happening here too. And I see, oh, human beings have been doing this stuff. This is what human beings do. That's wisdom, right? Understanding this is what human beings do. This is what life is. Now, I have a choice. How am I going to respond to that? With hatred? With resentment? With bitterness? Well, I can make that choice. And it's not an unreasonable or illogical response to life. But it is suffering. And if you are interested in being happy (laughs) and you want to live in this world, then you have to find a way to hold it. And that's what the Buddhist teachings are about. The truth of suffering, the cause of suffering, the possibility that suffering can end and the way to end it, the Eightfold Path. This is the ultimate path of healing, right? The Eightfold Path. This is, in fact, the Four Noble Truths are, in fact, a medical form. They are, this is the ancient Indian form of, of, um, of, show, of showing uh, the, the first noble truth, the truth of suffering, is the diagnosis. This is our condition. The second noble truth is the cause. This is the thing that caused the disease. The third noble truth is the prognosis. It's possible for you to get better. The fourth noble truth is the prescription. This is the medicine you take to heal. So that's actually, sometimes the Buddha is called the great doctor or healer. This is the medicine that he's talking about. This isn't an accident. This was intentional. This was a traditional form that the Buddha was working with. And many of his teachings actually work with that form, with this four noble truth form. So this practice, as well as the recovery programs, can be viewed as a healing process, a healing in terms of wholeness and a healing in terms of um, recovery. Of, I'll just say cure, although that's a little bit of a strong word. So that's a... I managed to get that little talk in there. There's, there's lots more. Uh, that we could talk about, but uh, it gives you an idea. And I think that the, um, the handout I gave you for this week, I hope you will look at that and, and work with it and just work with your own program 
in your recovery process this week through that process. And kind of, you know, one of the things is to, the, one of the points of this is to look at the things that need work, the places that need healing in your life. So I've run over it a little bit, but if you will be patient with me just to stay for one more minute so we can do a dedication of merit, just to sit back for a moment, closing your eyes. Our greater view is to see that as we are healing ourselves, we are healing the world. We can only heal ourselves, and we are part of and integral to the world. As we become people who can feel, who can love, who can be of service, we start to literally heal the world, to touch others with our own recovery. This is the 12-step path. This is the Buddhist path. Our practice and our recovery are not simply for ourselves. They are for the benefit of all beings. May all beings be free from suffering. Thank you very much for an engaging evening. And just uh, to remind you that uh, I'm supported by your dana, and uh, so I appreciate your generosity in whatever form, into whatever capacity. And I will hope to see you next week. Good night. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.